Hello, my name's Nina Barnett and I'm a consultant pharmacist working with older people in North West London. I'm here today with my colleague Barry Gibraj to talk to you about the themed issue for the European Journal of Hospital Pharmacy on deprescribing. Barry, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello Nina, we're in London, it's great to see you and uh, I'm a clinical senior lecturer in medicines optimisation at King's College in London and I also work for an organisation in northwest London that brings the NHS and academia together to try and improve outcomes for patients. So Nina, we um, are doing a themed issue on deprescribing. We've been through a road of getting articles this last year wonder if you could kick off by telling us um, how we got into doing this and what the motivation was. It's quite interesting reflecting back on the year because I think the beginning of our conversations were actually around the educational perspective on deprescribing because what you and I both identified was not only in the postgraduate arena of the hospital where I work and in primary care but also in the undergraduate arena, the subject of deprescribing was a bit of a Cinderella. People talked a lot about polypharmacy and the need for appropriate polypharmacy and reduction of inappropriate polypharmacy, but deprescribing only really seemed to be getting off the starting blocks. What did you feel when we first were approached about writing Uh, editing this issue? Well it might be helpful for our listeners to know a bit of our background in terms of what we have done with deprescribing. We've both been heavily involved in medication review and stopping inappropriate medicines and it became apparent that the term deprescribing in the literature was emerging but it was quite controversial. So deprescribing was something that people knew should be done but there were barriers to doing it maybe they were worried about what patients were saying or whether there wasn't maybe there wasn't the um, confidence to do it I, I think that's absolutely right and you know reflecting on it what I found a lot in my experience was that people were actually quite keen on the concept they recognized that there were patients who would really benefit from reducing the number of medicines but there was an issue about how do I do this safely how do I do this efficiently And actually, how do I help my patients make the best of the medicines that they're actually prescribed, which of course links very closely with the medicines optimisation agenda that we're all trying to push forward. I wanted to ask you, Nina, when we were first approached and we agreed to put together an entire themed issue on deprescribing, how confident were you that we would fill the themed issue with articles? That's a great question, Barry, because it was clear to both of us, wasn't it, that there were big gaps in the literature. Um, the literature, both in a qualitative and a quantitative sense, was really quite poor. There was very little there. Most of it was about doctor prescribing, a few little bits about pharmacists, but nothing about any other clinicians. And the truth is, I really didn't know how many articles we'd even be able to find. What did you think? Well, I agreed with you. And the thing that occurred to me is that we needed some perspectives from different stakeholders in deprescribing, which is why we wanted a nursing perspective. There was nothing on paediatrics. We really needed some case studies that were robust and could give people a start because I got a sense that people just needed the confidence to know where to start. 
And that also led us to think that people worried about the legal perspective as well. So I wonder if you could maybe tell us about some of those perspectives first that will be quite unique for our listeners and hopefully readers to get them started with some of those uh, challenges around deprescribing. Well, it was quite a new area for me. I was aware that people were worried about the legal consequences of deprescribing, but I was fortunate to be able to get together with Orla Kelly, who is a pharmacist but also a solicitor now working in Ireland. And what we were able to do together was to look at both the concept of medical negligence and the concept of informed patient consent in the context of the law now and the changes that have occurred over the last five years and to think about how deprescribing fitted in with the bigger prescribing agenda. So the article that we ended up writing that's in the issue should help people to feel confident that if they use the same parameters for deprescribing as they do for prescribing, that deprescribing is a safe process. So is that the take-home message from that paper? You know, if, I've, if I've understood rightly that if you follow the same good processes for prescribing, you've got the patient on board, which I think is a really key theme in deprescribing. The patient has got to be at the centre, part of the decision-making, wherever that is possible, that there should be no barrier. I think that's right. And, you know, speaking about the patient perspective, weren't we fortunate to get Sam Barnett-Cormack to write an article for us from his own personal perspective, being a person who has multimorbidity, who takes lots of medicines and has been involved in deprescribing decisions himself. And actually, if I might be just personal, you know that I have a disabled son and he has just had a medicine stopped. And I know that as a parent, I felt really uneasy because, of course, you're worried the symptoms will come back. And I think that matches with what Sam wrote very powerfully in our themed issue about how it feels but just as importantly, how important it is for him to not have deprescribing done to him, but done in partnership with him. Would you concur with that? I think you've brought a really, really important point up for us to perhaps deepen a little, because the idea that the patient is at the centre of the deprescribing arena and actually is in control working with the clinician of what should and shouldn't be stopped, for me, says something about the fundamental power dynamic. Because the way I think about it is, if you as the clinician stop medicines, you're the one in control. But actually, the person with the ailment is the patient. And so there is something for me about perhaps even taking a joint approach which allows the patient to take and I hope this won't be interpreted the wrong way, some responsibility for stopping the medication, not clinical responsibility, but an agreement that there is no right way. There are just a number of ways that can be agreed and monitored and followed up. So that if the patient does go away and actually the symptoms return, or they have any adverse effect of deprescribing, they feel 100% comfortable to come back to the prescriber to have a discussion again about when whether medicines should be restarted. So in our themed issue, I think there are a number of articles, maybe some of the shorter pieces and longer pieces, that actually carry that theme. And I just wondered whether any of the papers come to mind where that theme is there, perhaps with another soundbite to sum up what the paper is for our listeners' benefit. Well, actually, the one that comes to mind is the letter that Danielle Adams sent about the patient and playing the piano. I don't know if you remember the one I mean. the lady with dementia. That's right, who was prescribed a number of antipsychotic medications and essentially they left her 
if I can use the word, disabled by the medicines. She was unable to um, interact with her family. She was unable to engage in any activities. And intelligent, um, paced deprescribing allowed her to move from where she was, which was sat in a chair most of the day, back to the piano, where she could actually enjoy the interactions with her family and actually get some pleasure out of her own life. And so I know that that was just a letter, but for me, the summing up of why we did this was to give patients a better quality of life. And that makes me think of some of the other papers in our themed issue. So Polly Duncan and colleagues write about uh, deprescribing in general practice. And uh, my GP colleagues often say that they would love to do an in-depth medication review and deprescribe, but time is a barrier. But very often GPs have those long-term relationships with their patients where they can make those joint decisions and also thinking about what Wazim Bakir talked about with a care home setting in Northumbria in the north of England about how in a care home setting around a table with a patient and with the family as well that they demonstrated some really interesting results in being able to stop I think it was about eight percent of all medicines through that collaborative discussion. Yes, and it makes me think about, you know, what Ian Scott did for us, pulling out the different um, processes that have been tried around deprescribing and identifying for us that many of them have face validity, but actually there aren't really trials to support the appropriate tool, in inverted commas, the right tool. There is no right tool. There are a number of tools out there to support you with the deprescribing process. And I think what he did for us was he showed us that we're on the beginning of our journey. We have started, but we're certainly nowhere near a conclusion. And I think that's one of the key strengths of the theme issue, Nina, because we were able to get some of the key players from around the world to contribute to us. So Professor Scott in Australia, there are other Australian colleagues who, who have contributed through to the themed issue. And Shane Byrne, uh, Shane Cullen and uh, Stephen Byrne in Ireland were uh, another group who contributed. And one of the things that they said, which was interesting, is that deprescribing is often recommended but is often not followed through and actually done. And I think it's really telling that that hesitation is still there and they come up with different methods. And we also got Professor Doran Garfinkel from Israel who takes quite a different approach. And I wonder whether you could just sum that up for our our potential readers. Yes, I think that was really um, incredibly useful for us to have a totally different perspective on deprescribing because most of the articles not only that we've included but the ones one reads about deprescribing are about what I call serial deprescribing. So deprescribing one after another after another slowly and carefully withdrawing drugs. But actually what he talks about is he talks about if I can use the term multiple deprescribing where he identifies patients who are actually being harmed by the number of medicines they're taking and he works with them to deprescribe a number of different medicines at the same time. He himself is a palliative care consultant and geriatrician uh, working in the community in Israel. And he then writes to the GP with a letter which has an evidence base for everything that he's stopped and asks the GP to continue with his recommendations. And I believe that he's working on some data at the moment which will demonstrate the benefits of this multiple deprescribing approach, which again, as I said, is different but also useful. 
We're getting towards the latter stages of our podcast, Nina. I would very much like to talk about uh, the educational impact in a moment. But perhaps before I do that, if you could sum up some of the other letters and case studies that came in just briefly to give uh, potential readers a flavour of what's in the themed issue. So we've got Vanessa Marvin and colleagues talking about medication review, deprescribing and falls. We've got Alan Cassell and colleague who wrote a great article about the MedStopper tool, which is freely available for everyone on the web. It's even got a really musical um, YouTube video to support uh, implementation of MedStopper, which I think is really entertaining. Um, And we've got Karina Norton, we've got Anne Cole and Orla and Sam, all with their own perspectives. And the other thing that we haven't yet mentioned was the piece by Johannes Ross, who looked at pharmacists and geriatricians working together in a hospital clinic to do de-prescribing. I think where I'd sum up I think I would just say to readers, we've got something for everyone. We've got short pieces, we've got long pieces. Just dip your toe into the de-prescribing pool. You'll certainly enjoy it and I think you'll find it refreshing. So uh, you mentioned Karina Norton. We desperately need some nursing literature around deprescribing. And Karina is an academic nurse who also practices. And nurses are there all the time seeing how patients take their medicines. So that's important. And you also mentioned Anne Cole because Anne and her her, um, colleagues from the Royal Pharmaceutical Society mentioned that we mustn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, that polypharmacy can be appropriate and necessary. So we need to recognise that. I think the final thing I want to say, which comes back to one of your earlier questions, Nina, was the themed issue is about educating people. And it occurred to me that most of the literature is aimed at senior doctors, senior pharmacists. But actually, we need to be getting to the students, to the undergraduates, to the foundation trainees in their early years. Because although we don't want them to be deprescribing, because they probably don't have the competence or the experience, they will one day be the senior practitioners. And I think we need a paradigm shift, a culture change, so that deprescribing becomes the norm. So one of the things that we did in earlier in 2016 was to publish a paper uh, with a survey of junior doctors on whose role they think it is to review medicines. And we coined the bottom-up approach to education around medication review and deprescribing. And a key paper that you and I collaborated with Alan Poots on was a strategy to get educational strategies into undergraduate and postgraduate training around deprescribing. And I think if I was to sum up what I really hope that our listeners and perhaps readers will get is how do we make sure we educate our trainees and also our seniors to make sure that deprescribing becomes the norm in the future? And really, I think just to sort of follow on from that, so for me, the key theme that comes out of this is we do have a cultural shift to make. We have a mindset shift around deprescribing. What we want is for our new prescribers, moving from undergraduate through to postgraduate and senior roles, we want them to be thinking about deprescribing at the same time as they're thinking about prescribing. And if we can do that, it means we're going to move towards the kind of medicines optimization paradigm that we're both looking for. Well, Nina, it's been lovely to spend this time talking with you uh, on this podcast. I really hope that listeners will be inspired to read the themed issue, find pieces that are helpful for them and maybe implement it in its own practice. So thank you very much. Thank you, Barry. 
And if you'd like to see more details, visit ejhp.bmj.com, where you'll find some of the articles open access. So I hope you'll enjoy reading what we've put together for you.